Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So take a look again at the epistle reading for today. That's printed on your bulletin inserts there. It's Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, and it starts out as follows. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So what do you notice about these verses? Well, you're right. It's a series of commands, isn't it? Telling us what to do. And the passage goes on from there with a whole bunch more of these instructions about how we are to live. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And there's even a few more verses along those lines after that. So, what do you make of the text? How do you understand it? What's more, how do you do it? That is, how do you live out all these instructions for Christian living? Do you even try? Or do we just throw up our hands and give up and hope that God will forgive us? Well, those are the questions we're going to consider now under the theme, how to understand and do Christian exhortations. Now, exhortations. That's a term that is often used for verses like what we find in our text today. Exhortations or admonitions, or as I put it earlier, instructions for Christian living. The Bible is full of passages like this. Jesus talks like this to his disciples. St. Paul addresses these kinds of exhortations to the congregation he writes to in many of his letters. But I know some will say, exhortations and admonitions and instructions, oh my. You know, a passage like this really makes me a little uncomfortable as a Lutheran pastor. I mean, isn't this law? I mean, look, here is a passage telling me what to do, what I ought to do, what I should do, and I know enough to know that it's no gospel. Those verses are not telling me what God has done for me to forgive me my sins, so since it's not gospel, therefore I really don't have to take it all that seriously, right? Look, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't do all these things as I should, and so the law condemns me, but Jesus is my Savior and God forgives me so I can forget all this exhortation stuff and just get my forgiveness and go home, right? Wrong. That would be a gross oversimplification of this text. It would get it wrong and miss the whole point. But there are some, even some Lutherans, who kind of think this way. And many of them like this catchphrase. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. They hear a passage like this and they regard it almost as some sort of trap or some sort of trick. Well, yeah, I know it says that, but 
I know we're all just poor, miserable sinners, and this is a law text, so we can't do it. And St. Paul here just wants us to realize that, so we'll fall back on the gospel. So kindly disregard the specifics of exhortations, since we can't really do them anyways. But that's not the way this passage and others like it are to be taken, nor is it the way they're presented in Paul's letters. No, Paul really means what he says in these verses. He really expects Christians to be able to live this way, loving one another with brotherly affection, living in harmony with one another, and so on. This isn't just some sort of trick or trap. So how is it that we can understand this text in this way? Well, this is why in reading the epistle lesson for today, I started out by reading last week's epistle lesson from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. The verses right before and leading into our text today. The beginning of Romans 12 puts the rest of Romans 12 in context. It provides the basis for how St. Paul can address us Christians with a, a series of exhortations. And notice how St. Paul starts the chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. And St. Paul has been laying out those mercies of God throughout the letter to the Romans, which is really a danger of reading these pericopes piecemeal throughout the year. All of Romans was read to the church at the same time. It was meant to flow, one piece leading into the other, leading into the other. This is a culmination of everything that came before it. So the instructions that follow don't appear in a vacuum. No, they come after and follow out of all the magnificent mercies of God that he has given us in Christ, that St. Paul has already talked about. For God put forward his son Jesus as the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. By his blood shed for us on the cross, we are justified, pronounced righteous before God. And this through faith apart from works of the law. God has joined us to Jesus in our baptism, in which we were buried and raised with Christ, raised to newness of life, a new life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit by whom we know who God is and we know who we are as his own dear children. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, these are all the mercies of God, the manifold mercies of God, which are the basis for the instruction that follow that he covered in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And it's the very wellspring very power by which we can accomplish today's text. You see, you are not just a poor, miserable sinner. You are, but you're not just a poor, miserable sinner. You are not just the old Adam, the natural-born sinner. Yes, you do have that old sinful nature, and it is always a struggle for you to fight against it, but that's not all of who you are now. No, in Christ, as a baptized Christian, you have a new nature also, a new man, a new creation created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
You are able to love because you know and have received love. God's love. You have the Holy Spirit. You who will lead you and guide you in the Christian life and who will produce in you the fruits of faith. And this is how St. Paul can get away with giving us this long set of instructions, these exhortations. He knows that this stuff will resonate with us according to our new nature. The new man delights to do the will of God. He delights to walk within the good path that God has laid before him in his law. And St. Paul knows we need to hear this stuff as we struggle against that old sinful nature that we all have too, that selfish nature. We will need to rely on God's mercy and grace and help to be able to live this way. And when we mess up and fall short, and of course we will because we are still sinners as much as we struggle to be that new creation, yes, then we can run and take refuge in the forgiveness of Christ the forgiveness that he has won for us. But that doesn't mean we should ignore or dismiss away the exhortations for how we should be living together as Christians. And that's what this passage in Romans 12 is all about. How we are to live together as Christians, as church. The church, as we heard before, is God's family. God's household, the body of Christ, and we are all members of it. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, as I mentioned last week. No, God has formed us into a family, his family, to live together and to love one another and to serve one another in love. We have been committed to one another. God has brought us together as his people for a purpose. So do you know your brothers and sisters here beside you in Christ? Do you know their names? Do you know their joys, what makes them happy, what they long for? Do you know their needs, what they're running short of, and how you can assist? We don't come here to sit in little isolation booths for an hour a week and then go home. We are family, and we should be family seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I have seen many examples of you folks being and doing just that. There are many expressions of love and support going on among us Monday through Saturday. And it's beautiful to see. The mercies of God have moved you into action. You're praying for one another. You're showing love to one another in practical ways, looking in on one another when you're sick, calling on those who have been missing, caring for those who are hurting, you're helping out with many needs of this congregation, the financial needs with your offerings and jobs around the church that need to be done with your acts of service, volunteering and asking how you can help. The list goes on and on. And while no, not all of you are doing it, many are. And I encourage everyone to get together and become the family God has placed you together to be. May this God-given spirit of care continue and increase among us all. Now, I encourage you this weekend, especially in the weeks to come as activities begin to start up again here at St. Peter's, take these verses to heart and put them into action. Join together in fellowship and service to one another. Love one another with genuine brotherly and sisterly affection. 
Are there brothers and sisters in our congregation whose needs you can serve? What will be being patient in tribulation mean for you this week? How can you rejoice in the hope you have in Christ, even in the midst of tribulation in the days to come? Can you be constant in prayer this week? Well, we can start by praying that God will help us to pray more regularly and go from there. Who among us is rejoicing? Rejoice with them. Who among us is weeping? Weep with them. Live in harmony with one another. But more importantly, live with one another. This is how we should live as Christians, as church, as family. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Love as you have been loved by God and Christ in the power of the Spirit. So coming back to our original question, how can we, how are we, to understand, and how are we to do these Christian exhortations? Well, answer, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God that will move you into action, trusting that he will place the opportunities before you, the good works that you would walk in them. And for the times where we fail, and yes, we will fail, know that in our Savior we have forgiveness to get up and try again, and again and again. Not to be saved, not to merit our salvation, but because we are, and because we've been surrounded by others in the same boat as us, who need our help just as we need theirs. So love one another as Christ has loved you. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.